right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I always sound louder when everybody stops talking. Turn myself down a little bit. All right. So we're in John chapter 14. Um, If you were last week, we talked about uh, the fact that one of the literary devices that John uses to present the information in this particular section kind of feeds off some of the questions that disciples were uh, putting to Jesus. And it started back um, at the end of chapter 13, where Simon Peter has a question, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replies, you know, where I'm going, you can't follow me. And there's this whole thing. Uh, Last week in the first part of chapter 14, uh, this was the verse that said, let not your hearts be troubled. Uh, and um, it introduces this kind of extended um, section where um, uh, it's called the farewell discourse, where Jesus is basically uh, wrapping things up with the disciples, answering some final questions. And uh, the next questioner that we have is in verse 5, where Thomas has a question. Lord, we, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And, and this was um, uh, kind of uh, picking up uh, the statement that he had in verse 4. Um, and you know the way to where I'm going. And uh, Of course, they had had bits and pieces of, of uh, revelation over the course of the time that Jesus had been with them. And uh, they had encountered a lot of his... Uh, uh, teachings with the Pharisees and so forth. They uh, they heard about the conversation with Nicodemus and about the Son of Man being lifted up, and everybody knew that lifted up meant uh, crucifixion. And uh, so there's all this in the back of their minds. They're trying to put it together. And as we finished up last week, uh, this famous verse in in verse six, uh, where Jesus um, replies to Thomas and says, "I am the way, the truth." And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we talked about how exclusive that is, how narrow that is, um, perhaps much to the consternation of people who would just love it if everything turned out wonderfully and if um, the classic cliche, all roads lead to God. Um, there may be a, a little element of truth to that in that we are all made in His image. So uh, we know from Romans that there's there's enough evidence, so to speak, in creation that uh, we do have an awareness of God. But but uh, Jesus clarifies uh, that there is a very narrow way uh, to actually become a part of God's family, and that's through Him. And so today, in verse eight, we're going to pick up with uh, yet another of the disciples, um, with Philip. He says, um, "Lord." Show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. Actually, it says, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. 
or else believe on account of the works themselves. In other words, I'm, I'm telling you what I'm telling you, but if you, if you can't quite get the fact that I and the Father are one, um, at least look at the miracles. Look at all the things you've done. Uh, these are his works. He says, uh, the Father who dwells in me does his work. So these are his works that are being doing, that are being done, and Jesus is doing them. Uh, again, we have that um, this explanation, and I I, I do feel some uh, I you know identify a little bit with the the disciples, and I certainly um, share their confusion here because. For a couple thousand years, people have been trying to explain this concept called the Trinity, and you know Jesus, you know I guess tries to clear this up in a couple verses, <laughs> and um, you know I think uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit, and and surely the Holy Spirit took some time to unpack, to use today's vernacular, to unpack these verses, um, maybe uh, down the road, and. Uh, uh, and, and I'm sure that that happened, but this doctrine that we call the Trinity, and of course you guys are are not new kids on the block uh, in terms of your um, uh, Bible training and so forth. You know that the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but it is a term of convenience that we come up to describe this craziness where where somehow within the mystery of what we call the Godhead, where there is God the Father, God the Son. God the Holy Spirit, all God, um, all the time, uh, different attributes. Um, we talk about um, the persons of the Trinity, um, but yet unity of character, unity of uh, essence. Uh, I, I can't say it a whole lot either. <laughs> um, I think it's one of those mysteries that anyone who really claims to have it perfectly nailed down has probably missed something. Um, but we, like many things that we come across, where we have to just hold a concept here and hold a concept here and hold a concept here um, all around us and resist kind of our Western compulsion to fully synthesize it all together. It's okay to let things hang out that that we can't quite fit into a system. Um, one of the echoes of rationalism and the enlightenment and the dawn of reason and all those things that maybe are very helpful in some points along the way in our in our history um, taking us away probably from some of the more eastern concepts that just let things be uh, without trying to force them into uh, some sort of hard relationship. And that's probably the best way to uh, conceive of that. But if some of you do have it figured out, please tell me. <laughs> uh, verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father, the Father is in me, or at least believe the miracles, you know, if nothing else. Um, verse 12. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. So this verse has gotten a lot of play through the centuries um, for a couple things. Uh, probably because of this uh, middle phrase that says, and greater works than these will he do. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, those of, of um, our uh, Christian brethren who um, have a high view of uh, the fact that God still does miracles uh, would easily latch on to this and, and say, hey, uh, you're a child of God, you're a Christian, uh, there is literally no limit to what you can do. Um, Jesus raised the dead with enough faith and so forth and alignment with God's will there's no reason that you can't raise the dead um, uh, whatever um, uh, shy, that, that seems to be the, the pinnacle of, of miracles so, and perhaps lesser things um, and some would, would say that, that that applies to the greater if you take this term greater works than these um, greater physically uh, the miraculous and I'm of the opinion that God can do whatever miracles he wants however he wants to do them so I'm not going to close that door um, but there's also another way to look at this and, and say that uh, greater works than these uh, perhaps in scope uh, perhaps in um, a volume you might say uh, we know that uh, you know Peter preached to thousands um, probably many times more at one point that than um, uh, Jesus had had preached to aside from maybe the you know the the feeding on the hillside there um, we know of you know hundreds of thousands that have been spoken to by evangelists of the world uh, this was before even the days of the internet I mean even from Covenant Baptist Church you know we've in one in one setting you know we've had people that have listened from everywhere from Australia to Spain to Kenya to you name it I mean just with our little podcast here and and so in some ways that's greater in terms of geography and so forth but um, the the big point I think is the first phrase of the verse it says, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. So Christians should be doers, right? Uh, James says that, right? We should be what? Doers of the word, not hearers only. And this kind of fits in. Uh, those of you who have been hearing the pastor speak about um, why do we exist? What are we about as a church? And um, as... Uh, the elders have been getting together and talking about these things um, as well and uh, talks about you know what's what's our identity as as a church you know what um, what makes covenant covenant what what are some of the unique features of covenant and I think you saw that this morning as Don was talking about I mean we typically are doers um, we don't mind rolling up our sleeves and reaching out to the community, and that's been something that we've done from the very start. And so it says, believers in me will also do the works that I do. 
and it could be it could be uh, fixing the deck it could be um, you know praying for our missionaries it could be writing letters of encouragement it doesn't you know have to be public it doesn't have to be physical it you know it can be all of those things but all of us should be doing something and um, says whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do I find a little parallel to this um, many times I've mentioned uh, how sometimes you'll hear or see a problem in scripture and you'll see, see the solution right next to it and so I think of Philippians 4 where it starts off about talking about anxiety and then toward the end of the chapter Paul says you know if there's anything good and beautiful and true and so forth think on these things and it that is the fix for the anxiety well remember in the first part of um, 14.1 he says let not your hearts be troubled believe in God believe also in me and then down here we say believers will do the works that I do so I think part of the um, mechanism by which they could not be troubled is to not wallow in you know confusion after it's all said and done but to roll up their sleeves and start doing the works that they are supposed to do and of course Matthew details a great commission we are going to hear about the Holy Spirit and um, the blessing and the empowerment that's going to come with, with that but uh, I think this is one of the instructions whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do verse 13 another uh, famous verse that uh, can, can be used as a lever uh, uh, for uh, various types of sermons it says whatever you ask in my name this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So, has anyone heard any sermons about this? I think we probably most of us have. Um, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So to some, this looks like the ultimate blank check, right? This is the uh, kind of biblical equivalent of um, Aladdin's lamp, right? And you're rubbing the lamp and out comes a genie and you get three wishes, right? Ask me anything. And of course, every kid knows you always ask for more wishes, Right, <laughs> that's everybody knows. That's how you play the game, but it almost sounds like that, right? Uh, ask in my name. This I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Um, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. In a way, I think this is one of those passages that is broad enough and perhaps a little bit vague enough on purpose. Because personality, it seems to me, plays into this, right? If you have someone who has a really strong faith, has seen God work, perhaps in miraculous ways, has that outgoing personality that 
charismatic leader is going to read this and say, all right, God, I'm praying this. I am, to use the vernacular in some traditions, I'm claiming this as, as your promise to me, and I'm going to go forward and act as if you're in the process of, of, of doing this, and I'm, I'm working with you, and I have no doubt that the Holy Spirit has used this verse to get things done for God. I have no doubt about that, whatever. I can also see um, people who might be more conservative, perhaps from a personality standpoint, uh, perhaps more cautious um, by way of upbringing or uh, teaching or whatever, who might want to focus on this um, not getting carried away with this verse to say, well, you know, it says, first of all, the key of this is that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you were here to hear Pastor Bobby's sermon last week, uh, which uh, uh, focused on the Westminster Catechism, and um, you remember this? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And he gave a couple other ones what, 17 and 39, or I don't remember the numbers, but I don't remember those either. I have to re listen to them again. But it all has to do with glorifying the Son. So people would say, yes, whatever you ask in my name, but it needs to be in alignment with things that are glorify the Son. Um, so it might be hard-pressed to say, um, my desire for like a brand new F-150 pickup truck might not necessarily have a direct line to glorifying God. There might be something indirect I could come up with, but you know that may not be exactly what he's talking about. Um, but I think it's this is a verse that, I, like I said, I'm sure it has been used um, by the Holy Spirit to perhaps bring someone's thinking in alignment so that they could evaluate where their hearts it, uh, and desires are um, uh, so that they could use this as a tool to make sure that they were proper, properly aligned with am I doing what I'm doing for me or am I doing it to glorify God and, and so that kind of self-reflection I could easily see the Holy Spirit using this verse for that purpose as well verse 15 if you love me you will keep my commandments. No doubt, some of the great preachers of the world, um, the Spurgeon-type folks, uh, could probably go an hour and a half on that verse. Uh, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Um, that's a lot. It kind of... Um, Peter's going to hear uh, this uh, down the road on a, on a personal basis. But if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Um, as we know, this doesn't mean that we have to keep his commandments in order to receive his love, right? Um, Paul reminds us that, you know, while we were sinners, he loved us. But... Um, but as we, as we love Jesus, 
we're going to want to keep his commandments. We're going to want to align ourselves with what glorifies the Father. And then verse 16, we have our introduction to the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Uh, when um, in medicine, when we refer to something about the lung, uh, often we use the root uh, P-N-E-U-M, like pneumonia, um, or um, certain types of lung infections or lung inflammations might be something called pneumoconiosis, or um, if you have a collapsed lung, it's a pneumothorax. That's the word we use for lung. Well, the study of the Holy Spirit is called pneumatology because it has to do with the wind, right, the spirit. Um, as a, this would be as opposed to Christology, which would be the study of Jesus, or theology, the study of God. Um, so pneumatology, there's a lot here about the Holy Spirit. So first of all, we find that the Holy Spirit's um, connection with us is an answer to a prayer. The Holy Spirit um, in us is an answer to a prayer from the Father. Uh, another verse where we see the intimacy of the Trinity um, right in there. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. This word helper, uh, paraclete is the Greek. Sometimes some translations just write the word paraclete. Uh, means someone who comes alongside to help. Uh, it's a term, and I think I mentioned this last time, um, it's a, uh, like an attorney uh, who is there to be your advocate, uh, to um, uh, stand with you and advise you and so forth. Um, helper is used in uh, the English Standard Version, the, the one that I'm looking at. Uh, counselor. Um, shows up in a lot of versions. Uh, does anybody have something different than those? Um, um, all, I, have, I have written in my margin, one who comes beside you. Yeah, one who comes beside you. That's uh, para means alongside, and um, this one who comes alongside for um, to be of help. And it has all of those things helper, advocate, counselor, uh, all of those things uh, are part of the name uh, of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it says the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit, right? Um, one thing that struck me just as I was looking over this passage one last time was um, how often in this passage Jesus talks about the world, uh, that there's a difference between the Christians and the world. And so um, we see evidence of that here. Um, 
It says, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So this is a distinction trying, uh, trying to um, uh, our, our little um, what are these prepositions with and in are those are English people. Is that right? Um, so the Holy Spirit has been with them, um, uh, you know, as I guess parts of Jesus and uh, I'm not exactly sure, but throughout Scripture, the Holy Spirit does show up occasionally. Uh, Jesus actually calls him the Spirit of Truth, um, but but then it, he's going to be in you, and of course that's looking forward to Pentecost um, with the the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the other big point to make here is the Holy Spirit is not an it, right? Uh, when we think about Holy Spirit, um, it's not, you know, in the, the Holy Ghost. Uh, um, in some traditions, uh, but this is not like some vapor. The Holy Spirit is is a person that says you know Him. He dwells with you. Uh, something that I don't know. Uh, I guess in our brains we all. You, you you just assign things to your brain, right? And somehow, the Holy Spirit kind of has some sort of a neutral thing for me, depending on my mood, and probably for a lot of us. Um, but here we see a, a person, and the Bible uses this masculine terminology. Um, I'm not sure that needs to be expounded on a whole lot, but the, the fact that, you know, the Holy Spirit's a person. Of the Trinity. Verse 18. And again, Jesus is, he's trying to wrap things up. He is trying to um, give them all those things that that they are going to need. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Again, and I, 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 mean, I touched on this some last time, um, but um, is this referring to the resurrection? Is this referring to the rapture, etc.? Um, this I will come to you, a little bit it sounds like maybe after the resurrection, especially when he says um, a little while, uh, and then the world won't see him, but they will. You know, um, that I could easily see that referring to the resurrection, uh, because that's not that far off. Um, and also, that's going to be a day when a lot of things start to make sense to them. So when he says in verse twenty, "In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you," you know, it's going to be different. Uh, after the resurrection, um, the rest of history is going to be different. And then verse 21, he continues to move forward and says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps, keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Remember, part of Philip's question, this word manifest, um, 
it says, Lord, show us a father and it's enough to us and so forth. And it's almost like Philip saying, well, you know, you know, what are we, uh, why don't you, why aren't you being more plain? Just show us more. And so this is part of Jesus' answer. Um, this is how I'm going to manifest myself to him as uh, via love. Um, takes us into verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us? That's, that's the verse I was looking for. Uh, manifest us and not to the world. And Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. I did talk about this last week. Um, this make our home with him that this was the same verse about dwelling when we about the in my father's house are many rooms so this is the same sort of word here um, we're gonna we're gonna come live with you uh, and then this connection whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine but the father who sent me um, love and commandments love and commandments um, uh, for for better or worse, uh, tomorrow is Valentine's Day, right? Typically, love is a big topic on Valentine's Day. And here we have a lot about love. Um, it's always hard when you try to sort out, I've talked before about um, the real St. Nicholas, um, pretty good evidence about who St. Nicholas was. It's kind of confusing who Valentine was. Um, uh, it seems like there may be multiple stories that have come up, but um, traditionally this was someone who was martyred for the sake of Christ uh, by Roman Emperor Claudius um, around 270-ish AD. Um, and uh, apparently one of the things he got into trouble for was... Um, uh, con uh, conducting a lot of weddings. Um, part of the motivation for the weddings was apparently to, um, uh, if you were married, I guess you didn't have to go into the service right away. So he was marrying so many people, there was, it was cutting into the army conscription. So he ran afoul of the emperor. But um, in any event, um, we have this, this love and everything going back and forth in this, in this uh, chapter. And, um, the motivation for all the things that we should be doing is love. And as these concepts were hitting me over the course of my study with um, loving God, keeping his commandments, um, our interface with the world, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, um, believing what was going on, glorifying the Father. All that's going around in my head. At the same time, I've been thinking a lot about church and elders and various controversies that are going on in the church and our interface with um, the outside world. And um, uh, These are really mixed up times. <laughs> um, uh, things get really confusing. Um, Black History Month is going on. Uh, there's Martin Luther King, and he said some amazing things about love, which, 
you know, may have fallen on deaf ears of his spouse against whom he committed adultery. I mean, it's just, you know, we've got, um, you know, pastors of various sorts and kinds who are uh, not being good shepherds to their congregations. Uh, this is uh, the last few decades have been the time of the celebrity pastor. Uh, you know, uh, everybody wants one until they get one, and then it may not turn out to be what they wanted. Um, uh, this whole thing about how does a Christian keep the commandments the way that Jesus is, is talking about, um, I think if, if pastors reflected on what happened, remember just a few hours before where Jesus was down washing their feet, if that was in the back of the mind for a lot of these celebrity pastors, they probably wouldn't be as much hot water as a lot of them are. Um, anyway, it's, uh, a lot of these things are hitting me um, in ways that haven't, I haven't really even made fully sense of them yet, but um, uh, that's kind of where I am right now. The Holy Spirit has the ability to clear up all this stuff we'll find in verse 25 these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you but the helper the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you so uh, thank you Holy Spirit for trying to untangle all these things peace I leave with you my peace I give to you not as a world gives do I give to you let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid um, occasionally I'll look at what other pastors have said about different verses and Ray Stedman who I've talked about before um, he was a mentor to Chuck Swindoll and Lewis Plow those folks uh, Peninsula Bible Church um, he titled his message the cure for heart trouble and uh, so the cure, when, he, when Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid, you know, the cure for heart trouble in this regard is, uh, like the little kids say, the answer is always Jesus. The big transition that happens, verse 28, you heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. We know the disciples were not known for putting their own feelings aside and thinking all about Jesus, right? Um, that was not, <laughs> they were not at that level yet. Um, their hearts were troubled when really it should have been, they should have been troubled because of what Jesus was facing. But, you know, like he says, you know, if you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm out of here. Um, he said, 29, and now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe, I will not longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He's getting down to the nitty-gritty here. Y'all, I am not going to be around here forever. <coughs> I am leaving. It says, ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. So Jesus is saying, you know, 
there's a transition here. You know, there are dark things that are happening. Um, God's going to use it for good, of course, but um, evil, Satan, you know, all that is moving. Of course, um, uh, Satan's not God, and, and Satan had no, I guess, way of knowing that what he intended for evil, that it was going to be the most miraculous thing that will or has ever happened. But he's warning them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And it's all about the relationship that you're going to have um, with the Holy Spirit and these greater things that you won't be able to do until I leave. Because when I leave, then the Holy Spirit comes. And then he says, let's go. Rise, let's go from here. Now, there's... There's a lot of other teaching, a lot of red letters that are going to come after this. So people have debated, what does it mean? This is rise, let's go from here. Um, some people say, well, he did the rest of his teaching as they were walking, which is certainly plausible. Um, some people say, well, have you ever had a bunch of people at a dinner party and you say, hey, let's go. And then nothing happens. <laughs> and people keep talking. And they say, hey. Let's go. Uh, so it could, it could have been that, but at any point there is this inflection. Um, let's go from here. And a lot of people do think that this remaining discussions may have happened as they was walking to the garden. A lot of verses here. Um, uh, Dad's got next week. Uh, you may just want to start over and, <laughs> and, go, <laughs> and go over it a second time. Um, but uh, pretty good stuff, pretty rich stuff. All right, I've run long, so uh, I'll just close this in prayer.